Hello, and welcome to another episode of Words of Wisdom, a podcast series dedicated to reflecting on the wisdom of the book of Proverbs. My name is Jerry Weirwell, and it is my pleasure to be on this journey together with you to discover the powerful truths that God has revealed to those who desire to become wise and discerning. Proverbs 16.32 says, The one who is slow to get angry is better than a mighty person, and one who rules his spirit is better than one who captures a city. In Hebrew, the expression translated slow to get angry literally means to be long of nose, that is, to have a long nose, where nose is put as a metonymy for a person's face. A person who has a long nose is a person who has a relaxed face. When the characteristic of a person is that of having a relaxed face, that means that they are not someone who is easily disturbed or provoked. When a person gets angry or upset, their face tends to get more scrunched together. There is a constellation of features that happens on a person's face when they become angry. The typical anger face consists of a lowered and furrowed brow, thinned lips pursed together, and flared nostrils. This is a universal look for the expression of anger. Psychology researchers have reported that even blind children who've never seen this facial expression of anger before will make a similar face when angry. Therefore, this is not a type of learned behavior, but a way our bodies respond to the emotion of anger. The Hebrew phrase, long of nose, also occurs elsewhere in Proverbs, such as in chapter 14, verse 29, and chapter 15, verse 18, and chapter 25, verse 15. It's often translated as slow to get angry, but also sometimes translated as patience. It is interesting to note that out of the six other occurrences of this Hebrew phrase, outside of Proverbs, it is always used in reference to God and his character. For example, we read in Exodus chapter 34, verse 6, after the Israelites have been liberated from slavery in Egypt and are traveling through the wilderness, Moses goes up to Mount Sinai to meet with God, and it says, Yahweh passed by before him and proclaimed, Yahweh, Yahweh, a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abundant in covenant faithfulness and truth. God's own self-description here when talking with Moses is that he is a God who is slow to anger. For God to list this as one of his core characteristics means that it must be a pretty significant trait to understand about who God is. And also, centuries later, after the time of the exile, in Nehemiah chapter 9, verses 16 and 17, the Israelites sing praise to Yahweh, saying, But they and our fathers dealt proudly and hardened their necks, and did not listen to your commands and refused to obey. Nor did they keep in mind your wonders that you did among them, but they hardened their necks, and in their rebellion they appointed a leader to return to their slavery in Egypt. But you are a God ready to pardon, gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abundant in covenant faithfulness, and did not forsake them. The Israelites, who came back from the exile, are acknowledging the character of God as being slow to anger. Because even after all the things that God did to demonstrate his power and goodness to their ancestors by bringing them out of Egypt, dividing the sea for them to pass through, and miraculously feeding them, they still did not obey God or listen to his commands, but rather were proud and hardened their necks. 
meaning they refused to turn toward God. What we can gain from these examples is that we can be certain of one thing. Yahweh must have a long nose. (laughs) As comical as this description may seem, we shouldn't imagine God as having an actual nose as we do. This sort of attribution of human characteristics to God so that we may better understand him is a figure of speech called anthropomorphism. Yahweh God is being described in human terms so that we can relate to him and comprehend his likeness through similarity to ourselves, others, and the world around us. It wouldn't help us if scripture described God using terminology of which we have no reference to understand. And so we find lots of anthropomorphic language about God in scripture because God accommodates us in our limited knowledge and capacity to understand him by using a frame of reference that we are familiar with. Moreover, we see that being slow to get angry is an important characteristic of God, one that Proverbs conveys as an essential part of living with godly wisdom. Thus, if wisdom comes from God and God's character is such that he is slow to anger, then it follows that God's wisdom would correlate with instructing the reader the need to be like him so as to exemplify this virtue of his. In the synonymous parallelism of the proverb, a person who is slow to get angry is paralleled with a person who rules his spirit. The word spirit, which is the Hebrew word ruach, is being used to refer to a person's emotions, attitudes, inclination, and mood. We still use the word spirit in this way today. For example, we might describe a young person who is lively and energetic as a person who is full of spirit. Also, it is common for a person to be described as having a lot of school spirit. If they have a very positive and enthusiastic disposition toward their school and an intense desire to see their school succeed, especially in sports. Thus, spirit can be thought of as referring to an internal drive and source of motivation that comes out in a person's actions and words. And therefore, a person who can rule his or her spirit is someone who is able to bring under their control that passionate energy and desire by which they act so invigorated and ardent towards something. Furthermore, it can be said more generally that both phrases slow to get angry, and rules his spirit, refer to a person who is disciplined and able to govern their attitude and disposition. They can keep their emotions and temper under control so as to not allow them to flare up and then get swept away by them into saying or doing something based on that flood of emotion rather than as a thoughtful and intentional decision. The structure of this proverb actually takes on a well-known form called a better-than proverb. What this means is that two things are being compared by saying one is better than the other. Here in 1429, in both lines of the synonymous parallelism, there are two better than expressions. First, the one who is slow to get angry is better than a mighty person. And second, one who rules his spirit is better than one who captures a city. Both lines begin by addressing a person's internal strength and then comparing it to a form of external strength. What both lines of this better-than proverb are saying is that interior, that is, spiritual or emotional virtues, are superior to exterior or physical capabilities. We could summarize the meaning of the proverb as such. Conquering the world is meaningless 
if a person cannot master themselves. The greatest conquest to be gained in life is within oneself. The person who is slow to anger and can rule his spirit, which are his emotions and temper, is to be prized above or viewed as more valuable and powerful than a mighty warrior or a man of great strength who can capture a city. A very important aspect of wisdom is the ability to control one's emotions and to know when and how to express them at the right time and in the appropriate degree. If your emotions and temper get the best of you, it shows that you are not strong. You have been defeated and taken prisoner by your own self. The person who can resist their emotions and temper by exhibiting self-restraint shows himself to be both wise and strong, knowing the dangers of the foolishness that is brought about by succumbing to them. One arena in life where we see people's emotions and temper often get the best of them is in athletic competitions. Throughout the past several decades, there have been a lineup of many individuals who are known for acting out on their emotions and temper. Perhaps one of the most well-known athletes who fall under this category is the American tennis player, John McEnroe. Highly successful and talented McEnroe attained number one ranking in both singles and doubles with 77 singles and 78 doubles titles in his career. He holds the highest men's combined total in modern tennis championships. He also achieved seven Grand Slam singles titles, four at the U.S. Open and three at Wimbledon, and nine men's Grand Slam doubles titles. But with all this success and notoriety, McEnroe had a major flaw, his temper. There are dozens of sports pages filled with articles written about the misconduct of McEnroe during tennis matches throughout his career. However, one infamous occasion, perhaps more memorable than most of the others, occurred in 1990 at the Australian Open at Flinders Park in Melbourne. In the fourth round, McEnroe was paired off against Mikkel Pernfors of Sweden. The match was going well for McEnroe, but there had been several warnings by the referee against McEnroe for his conduct during the match. McEnroe was well known for his volatile temperament and on-court tantrums. During the match, McEnroe received his first violation warning for intimidating a line judge by standing close in front of her and glaring at her because he thought she had made a bad call. Then he got a second one for smashing his racket repeatedly on the ground after a bad volley. And then came a third violation for using profanity when arguing with the umpire and the tournament referee. McEnroe was one of the leading tennis players in the world, and he was up against a significantly lower-ranked opponent and was leading the match. Victory was basically guaranteed for McEnroe. But upon the third violation, the tournament referee announced the end of the match on account of default by McEnroe, and the win went to Pernfors. McEnroe had been eliminated from the tournament. Not too long before this tournament, players were allowed four violations per match, but the rules had recently been changed to three. Upon the third violation, McEnroe was ruled as defaulting the match. He was stunned in disbelief at the referee's pronouncement of his defeat by default. This was a shock to McEnroe and the crowd as McEnroe found himself removed from a tournament that he had an exceptionally high likelihood of potentially winning, all due to his inability to restrain himself from speaking and acting out. Thus, in an embarrassing and unforgettable display of poor sportsmanship and an inability to control his anger, 
McEnroe was actually the first player since 1963 to be disqualified from a Grand Slam tournament for misconduct. It is a shame that McEnroe was defeated in the Australian Open, in which he was one of the best competitors simply on account of silly, childish behavior. In conclusion, what we can learn from the proverb is that it doesn't matter what your capabilities are in the world. You might be the smartest businessman, the best musician, or one of the greatest athletes. If you can't rule over your own domain, which is your body, it doesn't matter how well you can outdo others. You will not be able to live with wisdom. Wisdom teaches that true strength is about internal mastery and ruling well within your own self so that as you live in a world filled with temptations to get angry and lash out, you are able to demonstrate true strength that few people ever really achieve. Thanks so much for listening to the Truth or Tradition podcast. We hope you're enjoying this new series on the words of wisdom from the book of Proverbs. And for more biblical resources, you can visit our website, truthortradition.com. And there you can subscribe to our mailing list to be notified of the future resources that we post.